0: Welcome to Un-Uninformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Each week Ununinformed uninformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel so dumb around your smart friends. This week we're talking about a startup that's developing a biodegradable female sanitary pad. Pretty sweet. A, a, a team of students led by University of Utah Materials Science and Engineering Professor Jeff Bates are developing what is called the Shiro Pad. We'll be talking to two of the students on the team, Allie Dibble, who's a material science and engineering student, as well as Ben Bradford, who's a marketing student. So why is a biodegradable maxi pad such a big deal? Allie Dibble took me through the team's lab and answered that very question. She first pointed out that typical maxi pads, like diapers, use PVC, you know, the stuff you use in pipes, for the outermost layer. Here's Allie in the team's lab.
1: So it's speculated that on the like the current degradation pathway it will take several hundred to several thousand years for PC
0: to oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So I mean I'm I am i am thinking about artifacts that are 1000 years old. <laughs> I don't think of diapers. So when archaeologists 1000 years in the future want to dig us up, what do they see? A bunch of used maxi pads. Unless something changes. And that, of course, is where the Shiro Pad comes in. But the PVC outer layer already has some existing solutions in the world of science. But another part of the Maxi Pad currently lacking a biodegradable solution... It
1: ...is the superabsorbent core, which is made of a hydrogel. And a hydrogel is a material that absorbs way more than its weight in water. And usually they're really, really not sustainable and not biodegradable.
0: But with the Shiro Pad...
1: We're using something that is extracted from brown algae.
0: Oh. Brown algae is a solution to these landfill issues. Actually, it's not that simple. So joining me to really dig into what the ShiroPad has to offer is Allie Dibble and Ben Bradford. Ally Dibble, Ben Bradford, welcome to Un-Uninformed.
1: Thank you for having us. Great to be here.
0: Okay, Allie, so... Before we talk about the, the solution that ShiroPad offers, what's the current state? What's the problem?
1: All right, so the problem is multifaceted. There is a problem in the U.S., and there's a problem in developing countries around the world. So the way this project started was uh, about two and a half years ago, a nonprofit in Guatemala sent out a request to the scientific community for a... Solution to this problem they had identified in Guatemala. They had found that women in rural, indigenous, low-income communities didn't have adequate access to feminine hygiene products, and so were missing 10 to 20% of school or work days a year due to menstruation.
2: Really? And
1: this didn't allow them to, become, to finish their educations. Oftentimes, they would drop out of school before they finished, um, and it would also limit them in terms of advancement in the workforce in the workforce because they would have to miss work days every year,
0: just during their period.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and I'm I'm familiar with this. I'd been to India where um, women weren't going to school because they didn't have bathrooms, you know, yeah. and things like
2: that.
1: Well, it's a it's a th- those two issues are are very connected because if they don't have bathrooms, they don't have anywhere to change their feminine hygiene products, right. and there's such a stigma and such a shame about having periods. No one talks about it, and so. Oftentimes there's this, this double-edged sword in that there's not access because these larger companies don't find it profitable to send out products to really, really rural communities. But also nobody's going to say anything like, hey, we need products. We're the ones who need them most because nobody's talking about the issue. But what's happening is these women are at a disadvantage and they're not getting the education or um the economic advantage that they could be if they had access to adequate feminine hygiene products.
0: Well, so so in, in Guatemala and these different developing countries, do feminine hygiene pads even exist?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, most women will resort to other options. So another problem that kind of exists in these rural communities is there's not a lot of potable water. And so reusable options are hard. So some women will try and use rags, but... You have to wash them in order to use them again, and there's not really any adequate and safe way for them to necessarily clean those rags. Um, other women have resorted to using sticks or leaves or mud.
0: But that's not something you want to go to school with. <laughs> no, no.
1: Um, yeah, so they they kind of uh they've reached a point where it's not safe anymore. The options that they're resorting to result in higher um, spread of disease and more infections and that poses a greater health risk for these women who just need something to get by but there's nothing available. So we've got the uh, social aspect where we're trying to provide access to women in a develop in developing countries, both geographical and financial access. But the other aspect of this issue is the environmental aspect. So and this this goes all across the board. This isn't just in Guatemala. This isn't just in the U.S. This is everywhere. Most feminine hygiene products are not biodegradable, are not sustainable at all. They use plastics like PVC or super unsustainable hydrogels that take between 450 and 1,000 years to degrade in a land. Wait a thousand years. A thousand years. What? <laughs> well, we actually don't know how long they take to degrade because they haven't been around that long. But based on how they've performed under landfill conditions in the last 50 to 100 years or however long they've been around, it is speculated that they take up to a 1,000 years to degrade in landfills.
0: And that will be speculative science until uh, year 2100. Yeah, something (laughs) like that, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Got it, okay. Um,
1: And so there's this issue of all of this feminine hygiene product waste that uses all of these plastics – and has all these toxic byproducts during manufacturing, all of that ends up in a landfill. And it takes 1,000 years to degrade, and takes up a lot of excess landfill space. An average U.S. woman will produce around 6,200 pounds of feminine hygiene product waste in her lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and this accounts for 1% of her total landfill production in her
2: life. It's not even really an option, too, which is something to note. Like, this is like a necessary thing that women need to use. So it's not like, oh, like I'll just stop buying this extra thing. It's like this is something that they need for their health, Um, and so there's going to be that waste as long as there are products on the market that are non biodegradable. Yeah, this
0: isn't like uh paper plastic or bring your own bag to the grocery store yeah. yeah. this that's not a choice yeah. yeah
1: and there are some reusable options that are on the market menstrual cups are a great example but for women in developing countries again going back to this issue of potable water a menstrual cup requires you to wash it and you're inserting that back into yourself after you've washed it I actually off. didn't know that
0: was a thing yeah so there's okay. these silicone
1: cups that collect the menses instead of absorbing it. Uh-huh. And so then you just dump it out and wash it and you can use it again. Oh. So that's a good sustainable option for women in the U.S. But for women in developing countries, there there's a whole different set of issues. And also
2: even for women in the U.S., a product like that uh, really requires a lot of like change in habits that are really ingrained for their whole lives. Um, some women are also uncomfortable with it. Um, and so right now, a lot of market research that we've looked at says pads are about 40 percent of feminine hygiene products sold and they will continue to be like that large proportion um, partially just because it's such a uh, lifestyle change uh, to to use a menstrual cup so a lot of women don't go with that option even in the U.S. Also,
1: Also one of the reasons that we the reason that we've really focused on pads in this project is there are also cultural taboos in Guatemala or other developing countries it your period is seen as very shameful and inserting something inside yourself like a tampon or a menstrual cup is not seen as appropriate. And so pads are the most commonly used uh, option for feminine hygiene products because they don't infringe on cultural taboos. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're coming from in that regard. Um, With the environmental aspect, so it obviously is a huge problem in the U.S. It's taking up a whole lot of landfill space but it is also a problem in developing countries when they do have access to feminine hygiene products because often the big brands like Always and Kotex use plastics in their in their feminine hygiene products and in these countries these developing countries that don't have adequate sanitation or waste management systems these plastic pads get thrown in open land or in waterways or uh. in open dump sites which can cause a whole host of problems with yeah. the environment but also with disease spreading because right. these are just lying out there with biomaterial, I guess, yeah. um, and that can attract bugs and pests and other vectors that can spread disease more.
0: Okay, so we, we've got a biodegradable issue, we've got uh, cultural issues, um, and we have availability in third world countries. So that's the problem. Well, apparently you guys got a solution. Let's talk about yeah. it. So
1: the solution that we've come up with is um, has part to do with the technology and part to do with the business model. So we've created a 100% biodegradable pad that degrades within six months of disposal. And um, my team is partly composed of material science and engineering students like you, myself.
0: And you are a material science. I yeah, am okay. a material
1: science engineering student. Yeah. Um, and we have identified different materials that perform all of the functions necessary for a pad um, when you put them all together. And so we're finishing up some testing on those, and then when we, we will move into the beta testing phase to figure out if they are comfortable and acceptable and up to standard with the other feminine hygiene products in the market.
0: Cool. And, and uh, uh, you guys are in the process of actually testing your completely uh, biodegradable uh, maxi kit pad compared to, you know, name brand.
1: Yeah, and there so there are it it we should note there are biodegradable options on the market right now. Okay. The thing that makes ours different is most biodegradable options are 100% cotton and so they have a really really high profile and they can be very bulky and uncomfortable for very users to diaper-y. wear. Very diaper. Very diaper like, yeah. yeah. And so what we've added is a biodegradable hydrogel which is a small material that absorbs way more than its volume and weight in water, and, or fluid, menses in this case. Mm -hmm. And we've um, implemented that in our design of the product, and so that will do most of the absorbing, so we can cut down on the amount of cotton or um, excess fluff that needs to be in there. And so it creates a slimmer and more comfortable and more uh, flexible product.
0: Cool, and um, I understand You're trying to get it sourced so it's sustainable in Guatemala, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. So um, like we said, this is a multifaceted project. And so in the U.S., we are trying to use domestic ingredients so we can mitigate the environmental impacts here. But we are also trying to use um, domestically produced materials in Guatemala or in Kenya or Uganda or wherever we've partnered with nonprofits. That way, we can employ Guatemalan men and women or Ugandan men and women to work at these facilities and own stock in the facility. That way, we're contributing to the economic um, well-being of the country, but the also the manufacturing's
2: being... there, which is where most of the value is for workers. So exactly. that will be where they are.
0: So you're not shipping these from the U.S. to whatever developing country. No,
1: we'll be manufacturing them in country
0: that's that's fantastic this, and, a, yeah. and your first place uh, on the map that you're aiming for is guatemala, is guatemala. that's right, right. we okay. have an established nonprofit
1: focus. partnership with um an, a non-profit in guatemala and they are very entrenched in the rural indigenous communities and so they have a supply chain and a distribution channel for us to get the products from a centralized location like guatemala city and then ship them out to the really rural communities
0: Okay, Ben, uh, let's talk about the business model. Now, you're a marketing student. Um, how, how are we approaching this business? How,
2: what's the business side of it? Sure. So um, the business side of it is starting in the United States. So we're planning on launching here uh, in North America. And so we are going to be distributing through uh, a website. So we'll be like an e-commerce uh, website. And so we're working on setting that up right now. And so right now we're looking at like a monthly subscription model. Similar to like a uh, birch box or dollar shave club, that sort of thing.
0: Oh, dollar. Oh, so this will be the dollar uh, pad club. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: And so, uh, yeah, so we've been looking at uh, setting up a website uh, and just all of that that, uh, that we need to do to get a presence online. And that's what we're working on right now.
0: So, initially, the model is aiming for a US market because of the um, biodegradable. Uh, it's People are concerned about that,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Uh, Women in the U.S. don't really have a biodegradable option unless they want to go with the cotton option, um, which we've already established most women uh, or a lot of women think is uncomfortable, especially compared to the product that we have. And so or slimmer products. So one thing to note is uh, we know that it has to be a good product that women will wear. And so we're not just focusing on the the environmental aspect and the sustainability aspect in the u.s all of that while that is important we are really making sure that we're making a good product uh, that women will enjoy and that will actually work and that is also biodegradable
0: because it's got to sell it's exactly. got to be yeah. got to be cool yeah. exactly
2: so it's got to sell it's so yeah so we, we're making a product that works and is biodegradable so it gives women that option that they don't have right now oh fantastic yeah. it's
1: also it's also worth noting that the biodegradable options that are currently on the market often sell for twice the price of non-biodegradable options. Okay. And so one thing we're working on is financial accessibility too, because we don't want this to be... We don't want somebody to have to choose a non-biodegradable option purely because of the price. We want somebody to be able to have that choice to be mm. conscious, to be environmentally conscious and sustainable. And we want these products to be accessible for lower-income women, and because okay. poverty is not sustainable. And if you have the option to buy something biodegradable because it's totally in your price range, then that's
0: so you're, you're one step go- forward. Because I, I could think about this two different ways. You could approach it like organic food, that people are happy to pay more for that yeah. because it's sustainable. And, that, and that's, been the, that's been Good. the model
1: so far. That's what the, the mantra of other biodegradable products has been is right. the people who are going to use us are going to be willing to pay more for the product.
0: And But you're not going for that?
1: As of right now, no.
0: You're going for You're going to try to get this, like, you're not tr- uh, trying to get in the price range of the, the fancy uh, biodegradable ones. You're trying to go for the normal maxi pads. You're, you're, you want to compete with normal ones.
2: Yeah, and not only that, but... Uh something that consumers are caring more and more about in feminine hygiene is uh, biodegradability. And so as soon as there is a product on the market, because right now that's happening uh, with these cotton pads and those products, people are, consumers are already caring more about uh, environmentally conscious and biodegradable products. And so once there's actually a mar- uh, product out on the market that, uh, that provides those things, we think that that'll push uh, consumers in North America Uh, and elsewhere in that direction even more once there is a product on the market. And so the competition will obviously have to respond and there'll be more products that are uh, more environmentally friendly and it's kind of a positive cycle for everybody towards more environmentally friendly products. And I didn't realize
0: this. I, I really thought you guys were shooting for the organic food kind of thing, but... You you're going for total domination of the, the market. Yeah, I, mean, I, I
1: mean I mean we're a young company. We're we're not, sure. we're not trying to be impractical. It is But that's difficult. the pipe dream, it right? Is, yeah. Well it's yeah. a difficult market to break into because there is a lot of brand loyalty.
0: Um okay, well okay, let's talk about the the nonprofit side of it or how you're reaching out to developing countries. Um like like we said before, the target is Guatemala, we want to build it up there. What's a business model going to be in the developing countries?
1: The goal is financial and geographical accessibility. And we have formed these partnerships with a couple different nonprofits in Guatemala, but also in other developing countries around the world. And they have all shown interest in prog- in uh, in a product like this. A lot of them already have programs implemented to specifically geared towards sex education and um, personal care, specifically toward for women. Um, and several of them are also engaged with entrepreneurship. So we're kind of pairing these two
0: needs and and partnering with local NGOs with you know organizations um that that seems like a really important factor what what kind of feedback are you guys getting from the the local organizations on that level of things uh, what are they saying as far as this being received are they saying oh if only we had this what yeah. how, what what are you discovering are, are some things not not how you thought they would be what are you what are you hearing
1: so, I mean, we had a we had a press release a while ago. That's how you heard about us on NPR, oh, yeah. NPR um, yeah. and we were in the Tribune and um it actually got around quite a quite a bit. Um, yeah. But we've had We're sorry, kind of we,
2: a big deal. Yeah. Uh, right. That's <laughs>
1: We're up and coming. That's yeah, what we're
0: That's mean. up and coming. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's, that's...
1: yeah. So, we've actually had um about five different nonprofits in all different countries across the world approach us and say hi, we heard about your project through such-and-such such yeah. news source. Just recently. Just this recently. This is the last this few the weeks, weeks. Yeah. So we had one very strong nonprofit connection. In the last few weeks, we've had about five come forward and say, hi, I work with this women's health, health initiative in Uganda or in Kenya or in Guatemala or El Salvador. Yeah. Would you be willing to send us some samples? And we will give you market feedback.
0: Oh cool. Yeah. Now now these are American based ones that reached out or not
1: necessarily. There's okay. one in particular in Guatemala that is works very, very closely with the indigenous. And they they saw the need. Yeah, they saw the need. They they it was published in an international journal, and this woman who has lived in Guatemala her whole life and works for this nonprofit, she was the one that came forward and said, "Hi, we want to work with you."
0: Okay, yeah, because I'm always wondering about like what's their perspective. Sometimes yeah. people reject things that are Western, like yeah, this. Yeah, you know? no,
1: definitely, and and one of the reasons that we are developing the product we're developing, and not something that's made out of, I mean, some of the original ideas we tossed around were pads made out of banana leaves and. Things that you could basically gather on your own from your front yard. Yeah. But people want American products. There is there is kind of this this standard, which may or may not be unfortunate because it makes our job a little bit harder, but it also makes them more expensive, the products more expensive. But there's this expectation for sanitation, and there's this expectation for a slim product, not... High quality, yeah. Yeah, high quality. And so that's why we're making the product we're making, because we want them... To like it, we want them to be able to use it and not say this is out of my price range. I'm just going to go back to what I've always done. We don't want them to say this is uncomfortable. This is too primitive. We want them. We want it to be up to their standards.
0: And even though you you want to give this a good old, you know, this is an American standard uh, type of hygiene, it's, it's not going world be... standard. Yeah, type of hygiene. Really. it's not
1: just an American standard yeah. type of hygiene. Thanks. This is this is very much like women. Need this? This is not an optional thing. It's, right. it's not one of those things. I I have heard so many stupid people in my life be like, "Well, can't you just hold it till you go to the bathroom?" <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. And
0: I think that was probably men that yes, said that. Yes, yeah, you'd be you <laughs> yeah, would be we're, correct. correct. <laughs> but
1: often in these countries, in in many even in the some communities in the U.S., it's just not. It's not okay to talk about. Right. And that is the largest barrier for feminine hygiene product access in the world is people don't talk about it. And if they don't talk about it, they don't think there's an issue there. And
0: that's why you, you your company feels like it's important to address the public health side of things. Exactly. Not exactly. just the business so side. So one of, of things.
1: the things that we've also talked about doing is working with these NGOs and creating an education program so that we can start educating these women on sexual health and awareness and um, practicing personal hygiene. And a lot of these nonprofits already have programs like that so our mission and our product fits in very well with their their pre-established goals as an NGO and so that makes our job a little bit easier because we already have these connections and can work very closely with them to get an all-encompassing picture of feminine hygiene health
0: so 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 you're you're a marketing student Ben Um, and uh, of course you're taking on the, the business side of things why are you passionate about the marketing side of things in general?
2: Why do you, why did you pick this major? Sure. Well, I, I don't know. I think marketing's super interesting. It's just, you know, whether people like it or not, it's insanely uh, influential. And so I think it's an important force in the modern world. And so that's why I'm interested in it. Uh, I'm also passionate about uh, the environment and sustainability and all of that is something I've cared about for a long time, of course. And so Yeah, I think it's awesome to be able to work on a product that really uh, combines things that I care about, uh, like helping empower women, being sustainable, uh, and it's also a really cool product. And I don't know, it's really exciting because there's actually like an awesome value proposition here. Like as a marketing student, it's like a dream, honestly, because it's like, oh, like I just get to help people understand like why this product will help them. And it's actually a product that will help them. And it's from a company that cares about uh, giving back. And yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. Cool, yeah. Um,
1: I just got a, like, warm and fuzzy inside. It well. Oh. very
0: nice. <laughs> well, this is the time to stand on your engineering uh, pedestal. Uh, yeah. Oh, wh- why, why do you feel like approaching life from the material science and engineering side of things is, is helpful? Why, why, why did you do it? So
1: I actually became a material science and engineering major because of this project. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh, you knew about this project before you uh, I knew
1: about this project in high school.
0: Really? Yeah. So, I mean,
1: I just finished my sophomore year, and my senior year of high school, I came to the U for some engineering day, and um, I met Dr. Jeff Bates, who um, is the faculty overseer for this research lab and he's also a partner on this company that we've launched and he told me about this project 3 years ago right after this nonprofit had reached out to him and he said I have this idea I want to go somewhere with this and I come from a long lineage of people who work in uh feminine hygiene care or not feminine hygiene but uh Female healthcare, basically, women's oh, okay. healthcare. So, my mom is an, um, a gynecologist. Oh, of course. And yeah, my okay. grandmother worked for Planned Parenthood. So, like, very, very entrenched in my Oh, so in my you blood. So you're like coming am,
0: home being like, hey, guess what I did today? Yeah. It's, it's not, there's nothing awkward about oh, no. it. It's just, oh, no. they're, they're just like, oh, she's coming of yeah. age. <laughs> kind
1: of, yeah. Okay. So, I fell in love with this project because it's always been something I've cared about. It's something I've grown up with. I have a sister, and I myself am a woman, and so I've experienced <laughs> all of these things, and I understand where they're coming from. I've also done a lot of traveling, and I've witnessed these first hand um, well that's that's not totally true I've witnessed I, but I've witnessed um, first hand's a little too intrusive yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but I can definitely I, I it is something I've cared about for most of my life and this this lab just perfectly, I always knew I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to be in biomedical originally because I had this idea of helping people and of having a really, really human application for engineering. And this lab was exactly what I wanted. Um, And so I started out in biomed and did one semester and said, "Eh, I'm not sure this is for me. And then came back to this lab and sent Jeff 400 emails like hey can i work with you yet can yeah. i work with you yet
0: and he and he's the one who developed the idea yeah. yeah
1: so he's the one who originally communicated with the nonprofit yeah. and he let me come in And um, we worked together for about eight months and there were a few other people that joined in the meantime. And at that point we had gained so much momentum that we said, you know, we could actually make a company with this. We could make this happen. And so um, last September we started the company and since then it's just kind of snowballed. But this, it is, I love engineering because it has the power to change the way people live and I'm really passionate about sustainability. And um, I think it is the engineer's obligation to create products now na- in, in today's day and age to create products that will benefit people, but also products that aren't going to hurt everything, right? Right. For the environment, environment. Yeah.
2: and be sustainable. Yeah. And that's so, its own challenge in itself. It's so much easier, of course, to like just create simple products without thinking about alternatives yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. so I like materials because it forces people to think outside the box and it forces you to figure out why you're doing what you're doing and can you make that any more efficient than you're currently doing it be that in an environmental sense or in a social sense um it you're, you're making something you're taking advantage of the characteristics that are in these materials and in your product and you're you're making it better,
0: yeah. And here here we are. We see this maxi pad that's biodegradable that could potentially help people in the U.S. and in third world countries. I mean, thanks to uh, an engineer, uh, <laughs> you know, several to, engineers, it's several not just engineers. Me. Yeah, I know, but you know, yeah. engineers. They, they uh, engineers are fantastic. They they uh, aren't you an are, engineer yeah i am okay <laughs> you got me <laughs> and we're egocentric we're egotistical <laughs> <the> can... <laughs> hey uh thanks for joining us yeah thanks for having us
1: yeah thanks for having us thanks so much Sean.
0: thanks for listening and thanks to curtis woodbury for sharing our posts and lauren christensen for giving the podcast a shout out and if you want a shout out share a post that you like and if you're listening from the website, consider looking us up on your podcast app on your phone. Our theme music is provided by Dee, Dee Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you're listening to Un-Uninformed. Thanks, everybody.
1: Does that make sense? I know there was yeah. a little bit like... Of-
0: No, it was a learning curve, and I think I figured it out.
1: Sometimes I get a little um, absorbed. This is all I spend my time doing. You get a little... Absorbed. (laughs) (laughs) Love the pun. That one is not going to get it out. uh, (laughs) Very... uh,